Hi, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of We Speak Condo. Today we're talking about insurance. And one of the big things that we're focusing in on are the different kinds of insurance that a condominium corporation must have under the Condominium Act. We're also talking about condominium insurance that owners should have. The key difference here is between must and should. Condominium owners are not legally required to have insurance, but nonetheless, most people should have condominium insurance. And there's a few reasons for this. Some condominiums have what's called a standard unit bylaw, but in the absence of a standard unit bylaw, which essentially describes what the condo is responsible to insure inside of a unit owner suite, it's a little bit difficult for condominium owners and condominium managers to understand what exactly a corporation is responsible for in terms of repairing inside of a unit versus something that an owner should be responsible for. So these are just some of the interesting topics that we dive into. And I know that uh, this sounds a little dry uh, just from the introduction here, but bear with us. It's really important information. And if you do live in a condo, you're going to want to listen to this episode and see exactly what kind of insurance policies you should get for your own property. So without further ado, here's We Speak Condo with Tom Gallinger. Tom, I want to welcome you to the We Speak Condo Palace of Sound. So uh, welcome, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thank you very much, Ari. It's beautiful uh, palace that you have here. Um, I'm definitely happy to be a part of this, so thank you very much for uh, to yourself and Nicholas for the invitation. Um, myself, I've been uh, in the insurance business now for about uh, 14 years, uh, and uh, six of those with Atron's Council. Uh, always specializing in, in commercial insurance, and obviously with Atron's Council now, uh, our focus is uh, primarily condominium insurance, both for corporations and for unit owners and uh, those who live in the buildings as well. Well, that's great. I, I know I've, I've seen you uh, at your office, but I'm, I'm quite confused one time because I did see you in the office walking around in, uh, in a State Farm getup, I think it was, and... Uh, so you're doing uh, moonlighting at State Farm, was that, on Halloween? Well, yeah, you know what, on Halloween, that's the, the one time I reserve to, uh, you know, try out different uh, different costumes, different uh, career paths I could have had. But yeah, you uh, thought unfortunately, for- I'm stuck here with Adrian's. You, you, th- you, thought, you thought I'd forget about that, didn't uh, I, I thought you? <laughs> you were I hoping. thought you might. <laughs> I hoped. Well, yeah. Um, so I can tell you a little bit from our end what we know uh, about Tom. I know you are married. Uh, you have two uh, wonderful children. Um, you uh, are a loyal Raptors fan, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that is correct. Um, I've asked some of your co-workers to describe you in a few words. I've got, uh, someone said, really, he's the real-life Wally Cleaver, uh, squeaky clean, vanilla, and incredibly boring. <laughs> All lies, I'm sure. So tell us a little bit about Atrian's Council, because I understand they are, as uh, as uh, a lot of the managers know, and uh, that you are the key player in the condo uh, insurance industry, uh, for at least in the province. I don't know how you fare in the rest of the country. Yeah, no, that's great. And Atrian's Council really has always, ever since uh, its inception uh, back in 1979, really has always been focused on uh, serving the condominium market. Uh, and the realty market, so really any sort of buildings, but really specialization in in condominiums. Since then, the uh, the, the ownership has changed hands, although management has uh, remained relatively stable. Mark Shedden still uh, at the helm of the company. 
and uh, really one of the the and great the fine things. golfer that he is. Yeah. Certainly, he's always ends up uh, shooting two or three strokes better than me. I don't yes, know. Yes, his that short is. game I hear is much better than yours. So, um, but uh, one of the great things about Atrans Council, I think, but that's you know sort of solidified their position of that company or our company in the in the condominium space is that uh, really the focus is on long term uh, management of insurance for condominium corporations. So not just looking for um, you know the best price today but really the best value today in terms of what you're getting uh, for the dollars you're spending in terms Contract of coverage. Contract wording and... Wording, um, value, claim service, and uh, and also stability of the insurance companies that we work with. Just we know we're gonna they're going to be there for a long time. What percentage of your overall book of business would you say is condos? Um, without giving away major secrets. Without know, giving away in, major in a, secrets. In a ballpark, within 1% or 2%. I could tell you that, but uh, but then obviously I'd have to kill you and uh, and everybody else in this room. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, it would be a very large percentage of uh, of our business. We do um, we do definitely specialize in that. That would be the bread and butter of what we do out of our office. Yeah, um, the new ownership of uh, of our office. We're a part of the Arthur J Gallagher uh, Canada Group, which is a very large brokerage, one of the top brokerages, uh, top five brokerages in the country. Arthur. Jay Gallinger? Very close. Yeah. Uh, I was only a few letters shy on that one, but oh, okay. uh, one of the largest brokerages in the in the country and actually um, I think the fourth largest brokerage in the world as well. So it's a very large uh, bro- insurance brokerage conglomerate. Uh, so we do have uh, a lot of um, other offices that specialize in, in other areas. We also do some other uh, insurance, a lot of personal insurance and insurance for businesses as well. So in Ontario... Of all the condos that are there, what would you say, do you have an idea roughly of a percentage maybe that you guys cover versus all the rest of the players out there? Um, or what share of the market would you have? The share say? of the market, it's tough to say because it's a bit of a moving target. Um, we would have uh, between four and 5,000 condominium corporations that, um, that we represent um, in terms of policies, some of those, um, they may carry separate policies for shared or recreational mm-hmm. aspects. So maybe not necessarily all condominium corporations, but, uh, that would be approximately the, the market that, that we represent. Uh, that's a big bite of the market. So that, that definitely qualifies you as the major player without, without a lie from, from my, from my perspective. Absolutely. So now we've been talking a lot about condo insurance. There's really two types, we're going to say, or two, two insureds. One is the corporation itself, and the other is the unit owner, all right, um, or mortgagee, which we can get into in a little bit later. So give, me, give us an idea of, or at least our listeners, um, what's the difference? Like, like, what's the difference between the coverages and who needs what? Yeah, you know what? That's a that's a great question. It's probably the magic question when it comes to condos because uh, it is a little bit complicated. Where you have the corporation, which has a certain level of coverage, and you've got unit owners, which need a certain level of coverage. Uh, the corporation's coverage is mandated by the act. There's four main things that they have to have. Unit owners, um, it's not required, unfortunately. So unit owners can. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold to- on a minute. Hold on. Stop the presses. You're telling me that condo unit owners are not legally required to have insurance. That's correct. Wow, we we have a a shocking news update. 
But uh, thanks for clarifying that. We know, but it's it, it's good to let that know that it's under that they're under no legal requirement, but uh, they probably, in their best interest, should have that. Oh, certainly. I mean, it's one of the things that we um, we do a lot of meetings with condominium corporations, uh, board of directors, uh, property management firms, and one of the big things we do talk about is uh, is unit owners insurance and the importance of it. It's such a cheap policy to purchase relative to automobile insurance or home insurance if you own a home. An average condo unit owner's policy is probably about $200, $250 a year. So it's a, a very year. Wow. affordable okay. policy uh, relative to other types of insurance. And wh- and so what does that policy cover versus what the corporation is? Re- you said four things they're required to, uh, to cover by the Act, by That's legislation. Right. Yep. So maybe you can highlight what are those four things? And then what does the condo unit owner's uh, policy cover? No, that's a great idea. And I'll just sort of quickly hit on those main four things. We won't go too much um, into depth, or we can if you want to. I'll really let you drive the ship here as you've been doing a great job of so far. But the condominium... I got a thumbs up from Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Yay me. The condominium corporation, the four mandatory coverages. Number one, they've got to cover uh, property. Uh, that is the responsibility of the corporation. So that's going to be all the structural elements of the condominium, all of the common elements, common hallways and uh, lobbies and other uh, amenities the corporation may have, anything that is a common area um, or common element of the corporation. Corporation is responsible to ensure that property. Mm-hmm. And the corporation also is responsible to ensure a basic level of finishes inside each and every unit in the corporation. So uh, that... Uh, is important and usually a corporation will have a document called a standard unit bylaw or a standard unit description and that's going to actually describe that basic level of finishes that the corporation has to ensure inside each and every unit. It may vary from site to site depending on what specifically is listed in that, uh, that standard unit definition. Um, so that's the property insurance the corporation has to carry. They also are required to carry what's called equipment breakdown insurance covers all the electrical, mechanical, and pressurized equipment that the corporation has. Um, If it suddenly and accidentally breaks down, things like uh, chiller units, air makeup units, uh, elevator systems, boilers, life safeties, that type of thing. Um, If that suddenly and accidentally breaks down, that's where that coverage would kick in. Corporations also responsible to cover what's called comprehensive general liability, which basically protects the corporation from uh, legal liability stemming from the common elements Big thing we see under the general liability would be... The dreaded slip and fall. Exactly. Slip and falls are the big, uh, the big cause of loss under the general liability. Basically, if the corporation gets sued because somebody's suffered injury or somebody's suffered damage to their property, the general liability steps in, defends the corporation, and would pay out to the claimant if it was deemed the corporation was negligent and uh, did cause them injury or damage to their property. Is there a mandated minimum amount of coverage... Uh, or legislated minimum amount of coverage that a corporation is required to cover for the uh, comprehensive general liability? Not um, not necessarily, uh, not under the Act. It may be specified in the corporation's own declarations, uh, right. a certain minimum coverage amount that they should they should take out. Um, we don't. We wouldn't typically sell uh, less than five million dollars um, of coverage out of our office, and certainly it becomes cheaper as the limit goes up. And Volume discount. Get your liability insurance at Atrons. It's it's what we found. It's a lot easier to get the coverage before losses happen. 
it can be more difficult if you have big losses that happen and then trying to seek out that coverage after the fact. So. And the fourth coverage. That's fourth coverage. You almost let me forget that one. That's well, that's uh, why I'm here. Near and dear to a lot of directors' hearts, if there's any uh, directors or officers that are listening right now, that's the directors and officers' liability uh, section of the policy. So that's mandatory. And what the heck is that? Basically, that protects the individual directors. Uh, it protects the condominium corporation for decisions that those directors make um, if it's alleged that they've caused financial loss to someone. So the general liability is really all about if somebody suffered injury or if their property has become damaged uh, because of the corporation. Directors and officers is all about financial loss. Do you have so, an example of that? Because that's the kind of gossamer thing, that financial loss because of a decision they made. How, how, how does that happen? How does that work to the, to the unit owner or someone else involved? Yeah, basically, no, it's a, it's a great question. I guess your worst case scenario would be um, the board of directors is being sued because they've so poorly mismanaged the site that the value of the units has dropped now from $500,000 a unit to $300,000 a unit. So they can be sued if someone thinks that, hey, my condo three years ago is worth half a million dollars. Today it's worth two hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. Now, but isn't that market influences as opposed to uh, their decisions? Well, you know what? Uh, I mean, basically, the sad thing is, and becoming more and more popular today in society, is that anybody can sue anybody for anything. Absolutely. And um, so, certainly, um, it's great protection for the directors because they are, you know, holding themselves out in some cases personally, uh, could be personally liable or personally sued. Uh, now, the corporation does agree to back them up, but well, this director's you, and officer's coverage is that sort of final backstop. That now, for, for you, does you directors and officers out there, the one thing you want to make sure is when you're sitting on a board, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you need to make sure there's two things in place. One is the director's and officer's uh, liability insurance, uh, um, commonly called DNO. And the other thing is there's a, a waiver, uh, I think it is, a hold harmless waiver or something of that effect that should be in the condo documents. There, yeah, there typically would be some indemnification. Waiver, uh, indemnification or waiver of liability. In the, so in the condo documents. And actually, Section 37 of the Act as well provides directors um, some protection uh, by law, provided that they're following the advice of professionals, that they can't actually be held personally liable if they are taking a professional's advice that the corporation has hired. So that's certainly, I know, one of the things you guys, uh, as management professionals, are always discussing with your boards, and we're discussing it from the insurance side as well, is that seek the advice of professionals, seek out qualified professionals uh, to help you make your decisions, because they are really uh, laypersons and, uh, and not necessarily engineers, lawyers, property managers, insurance brokers, and, and otherwise. So certainly seeking out those professionals and, uh, and utilizing their advice is, is important advice for boards. Perfect. And, and as well, uh, as a lot of people are... Uh very giving of their time, especially directors, because uh, up until now it is a volunteer position, and there's quite a lot of time involved in running a, a condo corporation, but they tend to usually um, sit on other boards, charitable boards, and though that's general advice that you should look out for when you're sitting on any type of a board of directors, is make sure there's DNO, make sure there's a waiver of some sort, indemnification. So, um, and I'm sure you'd agree on that. Definitely. Now, you did mention... Um, a standard unit bylaw or standard unit description. 
um, maybe you can expand on that a little bit, uh, and and then I'll, I'll throw a monkey uh, a monkey wrench in the works. <laughs> no, that's. I wouldn't great. throw a monkey. That would be really like kind of messy. But so uh, monkey wrench is much better. I wouldn't be surprised after the mustard. Um, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So standard unit uh, description is really something that any corporation that's registered under the the current um, condominium act. Uh, should have a standard unit description that was turned over by the developer. Basically, that's a document uh, that's going to describe what the condominium corporation, the level of finishes inside the unit that the condominium corporation would be responsible to repair if sudden and accidental damage happened to that property. Inside the unit, just inside to make sure. Inside the unit, yeah. So that would be something like um, counters, uh, cabinets, f uh, walls, floors, uh, if that's included in it. Uh, carpeting or flooring but what if somebody buys a condo and they have upgrades and they say hey you know what i didn't want the carpet i put in the i put in the solid wood flooring and and uh, we uh, uh over the years we changed our cabinets so we had the standard contractor cabinets now we have a corian counter and beautiful uh, uh mahogany uh counters and cabinets are those now covered under the standard unit description no, and, and that's one of the reasons why a standard, a, a clear and well-defined standard unit description is very important for a corporation is so that they have um, that standard documented. So that's the maximum that the corporation would be responsible for. If unit owners have betterments, improvements, upgrades that they've done to the unit, whether they've done them, the unit owner before them or the person before that, um, that would be their responsibility as an owner under their own personal insurance uh, to ensure that. So somebody has a, a loss in their suite, and they're going to get new cabinets. Cabinets have to be replaced. But the the condo was originally built in 1978, and it's now 2018. There was no standard unit description provided at that time, because those were rare, if anything, if, as rare as hen's teeth, if you managed to ever find one. What do you do? How does the manager handle it? How's the unit owner and how does the corporation? Because you're dealing with three entities there. So what, what do you do in that case? No, oh, great question. I mean, that's, that's one of the trickiest cases that, uh, that managers get into around property losses when there's no standard unit bylaw. Um, basically, the corporation... It's now just a question because you're, you're, you're interchanging, and I know this gets interchanged all the time, that thing. So on one instance, you're saying standard unit bylaw. In another instance, you're saying standard unit description. Are those two separate things or are they the same thing? Uh, good, yeah, no, good point. I mean, really, a standard unit description is the document that the developer should turn over for any registrations. Basically, any corp that registered after 2001. Mm-hmm should have a standard unit description, which is basically a typically a one pager that the developer turned over. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it's a useful document or not uh, is to be determined. Mm -hmm. um, it is unique to each site, but um, a standard unit bylaw is actually a bylaw uh, board of directors typically work with their insurance broker and corporate solicitor to uh, get a vote of 50% plus one of the owners to pass a certain standard unit bylaw. And usually there's a lot more thought put into that document. And um, that standard unit bylaw says? And that says those exact same finishes. So they're, they're really the one and the same. It's just the process you've gone about to but get them. If I'm not mistaken, couldn't they change that? For example, if they wanted to exclude <coughs> flooring. Is that something they could put forth to the uh, to the owners and say, hey, listen, here's what originally is the standard unit description. 
but we think it's in our best interest for the corporation to exclude flooring from this list of items. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things commonly uh, that we would recommend if a board is going to go back and pass a standard unit bylaw of their own. Uh, we normally say pull out the flooring. Number one, it's the most upgraded area of any condo unit. Uh, number two, it's it's probably one of the biggest drivers of loss costs. So if you have a loss due to unit owner mistake or error or negligence inside the unit, uh, burst toilet hoses and uh, ice ice maker feed lines and things like that, they're always going to cause damage to the flooring. So by removing that from the corporation's responsibility, it becomes a betterment, and that's the responsibility of the unit owner then to insure. So they've got to insure their own floors. Now, would that be covered under their condo homeowner's insurance? Because that's something different now, isn't it? That's exactly correct, yes. It definitely would. Um, Condo unit owner's insurance basically covers property as well. So while it's not mandatory, it is very important. Uh, The corporations covering the common elements, the standard unit, the structural elements, unit owners are responsible to cover uh, their own personal property. So basically any movable property. Contents. Contents that you've got inside the suite. Anything you could take with you if you moved out. Basically, that if it meets that definition, it could it would be your own personal contents. You've got to cover that under your own policy if loss or damage happens to it. Unit owners are also responsible for uh, betterments and improvements. So that's basically not necessarily a tangible thing, but a level of finish over and above what's described in so, the standard unit bylaw. So if we go back to the previous example where somebody has an upgraded kitchen, they suffer a loss, but their condo was built in 1978. So I guess the uh, the adjuster, which is a person we'll get into in, uh, in a bit, uh, will somehow find out what the value of the old counters were, and then up to that value, they would be reimbursed? Yeah, that's correct. Normally, in the absence of a standard unit bylaw, the adjuster is going to try and determine what was a basic builder grade level of finishes inside the unit when the building registered. Um, to do that, they may be able to pull on some old documents of the corporation. They Look may at be some able old, to, unfin- some suites that haven't had renovations. Exactly. They may be able to find a, an original unit owner or a unit that's not had any renovations. So they'll try and do some digging to determine, you know, what what was basic builder grade at the, the time it registered. And that's what the corporation will be responsible for. So if basic builder grade was malamine cabinetry and laminate countertop, the corporation or their insurer would be responsible for the value that would have been had it been that malamine and now, laminate combo. The value from 1978 or today's value? It would be a replacement cost value. Uh, and that's In the way the policies dollars. are set up. Okay. So it's the cost to replace that material today with oh. similar kind and quality. So the corporation would be responsible for that cost. And then a unit owner would be responsible for the difference in cost basically from that basic builder grade finish up to the level of finish that they had um, in their own particular suite. So do you guys find that uh, when it comes to your adjusters and appraisers and your claims people, that these are areas where there's lots of misunderstanding, confusion, and contention? Yeah, I mean, there certainly can be. Um, And especially when you have a loss in a, a condominium unit, uh, or multiple condominium units. Because then you've got multiple adjusters from multiple insurance companies that have multiple different marching orders yeah. um, and experience levels. Uh, and you can sometimes get some confusion. So a lot of times what the corporation adjuster tries to do is sort of be the, the lead 
in coordinating all those professionals. And hopefully that adjuster has experience with condominiums, has handled condominium losses before, um, and is able to uh, carry that through in a timely fashion. So what would you say if you're going to, if I was to ask you to give our listeners and predominantly the unit owners a couple of tips, the preventative things that they may do that would aid them and the adjusters and everyone else if they experience uh, a loss and at the time of claim? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I mean, you know, valuable things for unit owners to do from their own personal insurance standpoint certainly um, would be to keep a record. Uh, easiest way nowadays, take your smartphone and take a video of your stuff. Because if you have a fire ripped through your unit and a lot of that stuff's unrecognizable, that's going to help you and that's going to help the adjuster and the insurance company figure out what do we need to replace uh, in that suite. Also, too, if a unit owner um, has a copy, and normally, if not, the property manager always will, is a copy of the standard unit description or standard unit bylaw. That's going to be typically the very first document that the insurance uh, company will ask for because they'll want to know what are we responsible for, and that's really what sets that line. Okay. That's a good idea. Like I said, uh, smartphones take photographs, make an inventory list, uh, not just the outside, but if there's stuff in your cabinets, in your drawers, Make sure everything you own is documented as well as the structural stuff. The walls, if there's any additionals on like mirrors that have been added on, all that stuff is just pictures, 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 because then you have proof later. So let's go through the process. Oh, oh actually, before we do that, I want to just ask one question because you're aware there's a, the new act that took effect November 1st. What changes in the Insurance Act affect you guys? Uh, when I say you guys, I mean the insurance industry. How does it affect you? And then how does that reflect on our insurance owners and board of directors and corporations? Particularly, uh, are there any bylaws uh, that are affected by the new act? Yeah, well, great question. Uh, and the interesting thing is that the act, uh, really the first phase that's come out of the act um, doesn't actually include the insurance changes, but there are a couple that are, are supposed to be uh, introduced relatively soon. Uh, not having a huge impact, to be honest with you, on the insurance responsibilities of the condominium corporation versus a unit owner. Um, they are going to be helping out your 1979 corporations that don't have a standard unit bylaw and can't pass their own because there is going to be introduced in the, the new regulations a default standard unit bylaw. So if your corporation has nothing whatsoever, uh, there's some sort of default standard that provides a little bit of clarity at the time of loss in terms of what is covered because there, there tends to be some debate about that um, right now if you don't have a bylaw. That's one of the things. Um, the other thing is a little bit of a change that we're supposed to see about charging back a corporation deductible. In these policies, there is, like your car insurance, like your home insurance, um, there is a deductible. That's the requirement for the policy owner to pay uh, that is not covered. Car, you know, car insurance, $250,000, $1,000 deductible. Yep. The common deductibles for the different type of claims are in the thousands of dollars. And I guess one point in terms of that uh, condo unit owner insurance, some policies out there, have that coverage built into them to cover the deductible that you would be responsible for. Is that true? 
Yeah, or, that's... or am I mixing up two little things here? Well, you're you're on the right track for sure. Uh, basically, condominium corporations, the corporations themselves, they've got a deductible or multiple deductibles depending on what causes the loss. And then unit owners have a deductible in their own policy too. And you're exactly right. It's basically the portion of any uh, insurance claim that the insured, whether it be the corporation or the unit owner, they're responsible to pay that deductible. Uh, over and above that, that's when the insurance would kick in. For example, for a condominium, a typical minimum uh, deductible uh, for water damage would be $5,000 in a condominium corporation. So the cost of repair, replacing, dealing with the cleanup, and all that, all the costs associated with that, $5,000 is what the, the corporation's on the hook for. Exactly. The, the first 5000 The first $5,000, exactly. And then likewise, if a unit owner suffers damage, they may have their own deductible, 1000 2500 whatever they've set for themselves with their own policy. Um, is there any instance where the unit owner has to pay the corporation's deductible? There is. There's a section built in, and great question, there's a section built into the Condo Act that says, uh, basically, it's section 105, subsection 2, and if a unit owner's act or omission causes damage to corporation property inside so their unit... if they left the automatic bidet running... Exactly. They, um, you know, they overflow the tub as they leave the uh, the plug in and they're not uh, following what's going on. Um, if yeah, because the Raptors to, might be on and they're watching that. Yeah. They could. Hey, big game, uh, big game tomorrow night. Um, they certainly could. So if a unit owner's act or omission causes that damage to corporation property, the condo corporation is able to charge back up to the amount of their insurance deductible to that unit owner. Um, and in some cases, the corporation can pass a bylaw which makes it easier, makes it less restrictive or, or less qualifiers before they can actually charge back that deductible. Um, and the unit owner would be responsible. It becomes a part of their common expenses, and they're responsible to pay that deductible. Uh, but they, they can get coverage for that under their unit owner's policy as well. On some, not all. It's typically in, yes, exactly. It's not in all of them. Um, it's, we're, we're talking different companies, different products, Yeah, some that are specifically suited uh, or, or knowledgeable about condos add that or they include it. So whenever you're shopping for an insurance policy for your condo unit, just make sure that there's an insurance deductible coverage is included. No, that's exactly right. And the one big thing nowadays that we see too is that um, a lot of the personal insurance companies are reducing the amount of uh, deductible that they're covering, corporation deductible chargeback that they're they're willing to cover. So very big concern if you're living in a corporation that has higher than normal deductibles, $25,000 or $50,000. Those uh, usually come around because they've had a lot of claims. Exactly. And in order for them to get coverage they really become on the hook for a lot more money because they have a, let's say, a habit of claiming uh, um, losses against the insurers. Yeah, that's exactly correct. And so it can put the unit owners in a bit of a precarious situation because then they could be on the hook for a chargeback of 25000 or 50000 So they'll always want to look at that corporation's certificate of insurance and make sure they line up their own policy with it. One thing I always wondered about, maybe you can clear that up, is if boards continually say, hey, send that claim 
to the insurer, send that claim to the insurer, send that claim to the insurer, and their deductibles go up to $25,000, $30,000, and then a unit owner has a claim and he's required to play, pay that deductible, can he now kind of make a claim against the DNO because their decisions cost him financial hardship? Um, you know what? It's a, it's a good question. Uh, the, it depends. Well, I feel bad now. All these questions have been great questions, and that one was a good question. So. <laughs> the answer on that one would be it depends. I it, mean, it really, depends. there's a lot of stuff. The directors and officers' coverage is very broad. Yeah. Um, so it's very possible if it if it got to that situation, it, uh, it could trigger a claim. But I don't recommend trying that at home. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, please seek out legal advice before you do anything. Okay. There's our disclaimer <laughs> right there. Yeah, do we have, uh, we have a proper disclaimer here? We should make sure that uh, gets out. But before we, uh, before we go on, I, I left a couple of uh, blanks, just if we do have unit owners listening and wondering, you know, what do I need if, to look for if in a unit owner's policy? We have myriads. We have, as Carl Sagan would say, billions and billions of unit owners listening. Well, that's good. So just to make sure we meet their needs, um, again, we talked about unit owners needing to cover their own personal contents, personal property, movable stuff in the unit, betterments and improvements uh, as well, anything over and above what's described in the standard unit bylaw. Um, Also, unit owners are responsible for what's called additional living expenses. And basically what that is, is if there's loss or damage inside the unit that's so severe that the unit owner can't occupy the unit while the repairs are being done uh, and they've got to live elsewhere. They're obviously still going to have to pay their condo fees. They're going to have to pay their mortgage if they have one, but now they've got these additional costs to live elsewhere. And that in no way, regardless of what has caused the loss, it's not the responsibility of the condo to put them up. It is a unit owner's responsibility. And, uh, and so they should really make sure they have sufficient coverage for that in their own unit owner's policies. They also need their own personal liability. Uh, although the corporation policy provides liability coverage for the common elements, unit owners need their own personal liability uh, for inside their unit or in any of their exclusive use common um, element space. Perfect. So now, let's take a look. We have a water escape. And uh, I'm used to saying water escape, most common parlance by unit owners and everyone else would be a flood in the building. But first of all, just real quick, what's the difference between a waterscape and a flood? Well, I'm really glad you said waterscape. You must have, uh, must mean you were listening last time Mark or I were speaking. But um, yeah, there's a big difference from an insurance standpoint between a waterscape and a flood. Uh, basically, a waterscape is typically a burst pipe, uh, an overflowed tub, really any sort of um, escape of water. Or, uh, I guess that's why they coming from, call it water escape. You that know, it's, sense, not, it? it's huh? not just a clever name. Um, yeah, water it, uh, fleeing, maybe not good, or, you know, it's, water uh, running away. Typically water um, originating from inside the unit. Um, when you look at a flood, a flood is really uh, typically uh, erupts from a rise of uh, natural water, lake, river, or stream, overflows, uh, its banks flows in towards a building causing damage. It'll, a flood can also be uh, what's sometimes known as overland flood, uh, which is basically, and we saw this on July 8th of 2013 when we had the big Toronto storm. The torrential um, downpour. Torrential downpour. There's I so much that. rain. It's got nowhere to go that it be- begins to accumulate. 
uh, on the surface of the ground. It just cannot be absorbed quick enough. I was in the middle of that. And that's a, that's a big thing um, uh, to look for as well. Both corporations and unit owners, um, do they have coverage for overland flood as well? So flood is, is different. It's more of a natural event. A water escape would be a burst pipe an overflowed tub or really some sort of um, and internal then water to event. throw another one in the works, sewer backup. Sewer backup, again, that's really probably some of the nastier claims that adjusters have to uh, deal with and property managers have to walk in uh, oh, yeah. on. Um, sewer backup, the backing up of any pipe that leads below grade level and backs up into the interior of the unit. So stack backups are usually not deemed sewer backup. Um, if it happens at some midpoint along the stack, it normally does have to be. Is there uh, a name for the stack or stack backup? What that it's would called? essentially be uh, stack backup would be a wa- would a fall under the water escape uh, deductible. And normally, you see sewer backup and water escape deductibles would be uh, the same. And then typically, flood would have a higher deductible because, uh, again, if there was a major natural catastrophe, it's the insurance damage. companies would be paying out on a lot of policies. And o- I guess overland, what do we call that? Overland flood? Overland is that accumulation of water. So that kind of goes Rain, part tsunami, and with something like that. Because I know we're very flood. prone to tsunamis in the greater Toronto area. So make sure you have that coverage in place. Definitely. So we have... Um, a water escape happens uh, in a high-rise building. That's probably the most common in the GTA. So we want to look at what happens uh, uh, in in the event of the claim. From the, <coughs> let's look first at, at the common elements. Um, we have it, it occurs uh, usually always at a fr- on a Friday after five, and um, the steps of action: management gets called. This is happening. It's out in the halls. It's uh, wherever it is in the building. And uh, our job naturally is to mitigate the damage. So we call uh, in either the plumber or whomever it is to try to stop the source. And then we have to call in a cleanup company, correct? So who does the repairs? Who pays for the repairs in that event to the common elements? Uh, yeah, great. Uh, I mean, basically, whether you wanted to say great question, I did. I know you did. I did. I did. did. Okay. Um, you know, what happens in that situation if you've got a claim that's occurred um, from the common elements or even a claim that occurs from within a unit? uh, Oh, we're going to get to that one. So, or a claim that occurs uh, damage that happens through the building envelope. Uh, basically, you know, everybody's got an obligation to mitigate further damage to corporation property, uh, to yeah. unit owner's property, to uh, other owner's property if it's originating from a unit. So um, you you hit the nail on the head in that respect that you got to find a way to shut the water off if we're talking about water. Yeah. Um, if we're talking about fire, obviously life safety is, is paramount in, in that situation. Um, and fire is kind of a it's it's a really sticky wicket because there's two damages there's the damage from the fire and then when they try to put the fire out then there's the water damage yeah so it's a double-edged sword of all the of all the claims no that's uh that's very true but um well, but was it a great question that's what i wanted to know. wow i can't comment on that <laughs> uh it was fair that's a fair question um oh god i'm getting downgraded <laughs> <laughs> So what happens in the event of that? Uh, who's responsible for what? I mean, basically, um, the corporation has an obligation to mitigate damage to the common elements for sure. 
Uh, and the corporation has an obligation to um, repair or replace any common element property following sudden and accidental damage. So corporation would um, would certainly seek out somebody to stop the water, uh, make sure through, they prevent- Usually through management. Through management, yep. exactly, yeah. What we always recommend, management, concierge, some sort of building support staff that's there that will know and have the training on how to um, handle that. Prevent the, the, the further flow of water. And then, yeah, you're exactly right. You want to get it uh, cleaned up. You want to get it in a state where it's stable, basically. So you hire a, an emergency response contractor. Um, again, ideally, if it's, a, if it's an emergency contractor that's, already pre-approved by the insurance company, that helps because if it ends up being big enough that you've got to put it through as a claim, uh, you'll want to make sure that that um, contractor has followed all the right steps that they need to to be compliant with the insurance company. So you hire in that emergency trade and they're going to basically stabilize the scene. They're going to suck up all the water. They're going to cut out about a foot of drywall if they need to. Um, they're going to lift anything under that they need you to uh, to prevent, uh, you know, mold from growing or water from further penetrating any of these surfaces. Um, and then at that point, what you may want to have them do as well is, is give you a bit of a ballpark on what they think the restoration is going to be for those common elements. Um, because then the corporation really has a decision to make. Do we want to proceed with this as an insurance claim? Or do we want to proceed with this um, out of corporation funds? Exactly, which falls back to the previous question of how does that affect their future premiums and renewals? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and basically, so what we... I was going to say, what are, the, what are the the rule of thumbs maybe that if there's, there's directors listening, right? Not if there are. We know there are. Uh, we know who you are and we know where you live. Um, but <laughs> I already did research on all of you as well. Yes, and uh, I don't know if you're lucky enough to be able to play Santa Claus at every Christmas lunch, but I know somebody who is. <laughs> oh, I think he just spit up his water. Okay. Um, for the directors, in making that decision, what useful tidbits can you uh, imbue upon them? Yeah, I mean, our rule of thumb normally for that, um, in the type of marketplace that we're in right now, we would normally suggest uh, two to three times your deductible is when it's worthwhile for a corporation, a board of directors to entertain, you know, should we proceed with a claim uh, in that scenario. We always recommend to call your broker. Basically, your broker is your advocate and your representative. So if you call your broker and say, look, we've got this situation, they'll be able to help you through that and help you uh, with the tools that you need to determine should we make a claim or should we not. Now, if, you've got a, a, go if you've got a water loss situation that's three times your deductible, right. let's say you got a $10,000 deductible and you got a $30,000, $35,000 water loss, you may call up the broker, and uh, if we take a look, and the corporation has just had uh, three other water losses uh, in the past year and a half, we may say, you know what, you may want to try and eat that one out of the corporation funds. Sure. Because if you have a fourth one, you know the insurance companies are going to go uh, way up with the deductible, way up with the pricing, and it could potentially have an impact even on the availability of insurance. Or now, before I forget, so let's say carpeting has to be replaced <coughs> and all that stuff. Does that get... Does that get billed out of operating or would it actually qualify, even though the claim prompted it, would it qualify as a reserve fund expenditure? 
Um, you, I don't know if you, you'd have to ask a, an engineer or a lawyer or somebody, you, I mean, even a, a potentially you guys would likely know better than me. I always see it coming out of operating, uh, personally, but whether that qualifies as a reserve fund expenditure, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily know. Okay. Basically our area of expertise is once it becomes a claim. You create the bill. You don't care how it's paid. <laughs> um, so let, let's, this is in the event of a water escape. And I'm going to touch on something which uh, in, in my career I've found out, uh, I've seen, I've observed. Let's assume for a minute there's a slip and fall. And it could be sizable, uh, uh, ice outside, uh, elderly person or what have you. Ice wasn't cleared. They, they're, they're going to uh, sue the corporation. I've noticed, and I, I'm talking with fellow uh, property managers, that every once in a while you'll run into boards who are reticent to notify the insurer that this event happened. They're going to wait and wait it out. What are the pit... Now, I know what they are, but please tell everybody, what are the pitfalls of holding back or not notifying the insurer if there is a possible claim? Yeah, no, it's a... That's a say it, say it, go on, say it. An important, uh, important point to discuss for sure. Um... Basically, some of the pitfalls of that, I mean, the policy, the policy language is such that if, if a board of directors, a corporation uh, has an event happen that they feel could give rise to a loss to the corporation, so somebody pursuing the corporation legally, um, they do have an obligation under the policy to report that to the insurance company. I, I don't know if you've heard about how we sometimes help boards make those decisions, the three Bs. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, Enlighten say, us, Mr. Gallinger. <laughs> well, we normally say, and again, just casually, I won't put this in writing, but the three Bs basically... Blood... Or just in case, this is audio. There is no writing here, so go ahead. Okay, as long as nobody's scribbling this down as they listen. But uh, the three Bs would be, uh, you know, put through a claim if it's one of the three Bs, blood, bones, or barrister. So basically, if you have an incident occur on the premises and somebody's bleeding it's likely serious enough that it could warrant putting it in as a precautionary. If somebody's broken a bone, same thing. And certainly if there's a lawyer involved, uh, whether it be a lawyer's letter or an actual full-out statement, a claim against the corporation, that's something you should not waste any time in getting over um, to the insurance to the company. Insurance. Now, from your um, duty, uh, duty or aspect, and what we know is that we advise you, you open a file. It doesn't necessitate that there will be a claim or a claim made against the corporation because it may be proven to be fallacious or uh, anything like that. So, but in the event that a corporation does not notify the insurer and then at some time they said they'll take care of it, they'll make the phone calls, they'll do all the investigative work, and then months down the road they find they actually do have a claim on their hands, that claim can be denied, can it? That is possible, yeah. It could certainly jeopardize the coverage, so it is it is something important. I mean, certainly we don't want, um, it wouldn't be prudent for a corporation to submit every time somebody stubbed a finger or a toe in the revolving door. Uh, but certainly if it's a, it's a situation that is it's more serious, B. Yeah. Uh, then, then it would warrant uh, putting it through and, and opening that file and, and preserving the right 
um, for the insurance company to investigate it because if they don't get a chance to take a look at it in the beginning and it mushrooms into something out of control, they could deny the coverage or severely limit the coverage that they would provide for it. That's an excellent point. So I hope our directors out there are listening. And uh, so uh, you may not have a claim, but whether you do or you don't, notify your insurance broker right away. Um, now, now we've talked about common elements. Take a look quickly at the unit owner's fixture. Same thing, who would be responsible for the repairs and who pays in the event waterscape? Yeah, so if something originates from uh, within a, an owner's unit, um, really it doesn't matter in a condominium loss situation who or what causes the loss at first. It just matters whose property is damaged. So whether it comes from a common element, whether it comes from inside of a unit, um, condominium corporation is responsible to repair um, after damage or their insurance is any of the common elements, anything standard unit inside the unit or basic builder grade, uh, any of the structural elements of the, uh, the building. Unit owner would be responsible uh, for repairs to betterments, improvements, their own personal property, also the cost for uh, living elsewhere if they're unable to occupy the unit while the repairs are being done. So those costs remain the same regardless of what causes the loss. The only difference we see if a unit owner causes the loss as opposed to the corporation is that whole uh, charge back of the corporation deductible. So both those policies are still going to pay for the property they're responsible for. The only difference if it's a unit owner that uh, it originates from or that they've caused the loss or their act or omission has is that the corporation can charge back up to the amount of their insurance deductible to so that owner. Common event. We get a call, management gets a call, the water's coming in my bathroom from the vent from something upstairs. We investigate with security, the super, whatever, go upstairs, and uh, a toilet has overflowed, or there's been a slow leak dripping from, uh, from the toilet valve all these years. And finally, the unit below, the ceiling caves in. Who's responsible? Who pays? Well, again, um, anything that is standard unit in either of those two units, if it's impacted and any common elements would be the corporation's responsibility to repair after damage, uh, any damage to the unit below. So the, the ceiling and, and that type of thing. Um, basically, if it's standard unit would be the, the condominium corporation or their insurance. Um, any damage to personal property, so any betterments or improvements, if you had a laptop or a TV in the bathroom, uh, that type of thing that got damaged from the water. You got a fancy bathroom, buddy. Well, that would okay. be nice. That's kind of a dream of mine. But uh, <laughs> um, then, uh, then that would be the unit owner's responsibility. Any betterments, improvements would be the unit owner's responsibility. Even though they didn't do anything wrong, they weren't at fault. They didn't cause anything. All of a sudden, the ceiling just caved in and, and Buddy caused upstairs, damage. Buddy uh, upstairs, Mr. Smith uh, throws a paper towel down the toilet because, for whatever reason. I'll let your minds wander. And uh, time after time, the, uh, the paper towel backs up, uh, gets clogged down there and causes a backup and, and, and a, I'm not going to use the word flood, a water escape. And again, that ceiling comes in. What is Mr. Smith upstairs responsible for? Well, to be honest, very little. Uh, if he doesn't Even suffer he's any damage, it via negligence. The the most uh, if he doesn't suffer any damage to his property and his unit, then all he could really be responsible for is uh, is up to the amount of the corporation's deductible. 
Uh, and now, would that be only in the event in the event of the corporation making a claim? <clears throat> what if the corporation doesn't make a claim? If the corporation doesn't make a claim, the the same principles still apply. So whether they make a claim or not, uh, they could still charge back to the unit owner up to the amount of their insurance deductible if it's an insurable or sudden and accidental event. Okay, so they don't necessarily necessarily have to make a claim to get that money back from Mr. Smith and the toilet and the paper towels, but so they have a a five thousand or ten thousand dollar deductible. And there's a um, let's say it's five thousand, and there's seven thousand dollars of loss. The corporation would be on the hook for two thousand, and then they could require Mr. Smith to pay five thousand dollars. If he doesn't, they charge it back against his unit. That's correct. Yeah. And then he's in a lienable position. That's correct. And again, you know, with respect to liens and and whatnot on the unit and and charging back the deductible, uh, you know, what happens below the deductible to insurance brokers stays below the deductible we don't really doesn't really impact us either way uh, so it is always good if you're unsure about charging back the deductible to talk to the corporation solicitor and make sure uh, it does comply with the the section of the act and you're able to charge it back excellent thank you very much for that that clears up a lot and i hope it clears up a lot for you guys out there so if you do have your ceiling cave in in the bathroom or water's dripping down or something of the such you know who's responsible, and the first call, automatically get it to someone in your building, security, the concierge, or if it's during management hours or they have an emergency number, call them, and let's get that water stopped, and then we'll worry about the repair and who pays. All that stuff comes after. The most important thing, remember, is stop the source, mitigate the damage, and that's partly your responsibility, too. So... Now, it's story time. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm sure you've been doing this how long? Uh, in the insurance business, about 14 years. Okie dokie, fine. So I'm sure you've got some stories. What I'd like to see if you can share with, with us is, what's the biggest, in terms of dollar value first, claim that you've been a part of, or you've dealt, or you've even heard of in the GTA? Okay, in, in the GTA, um, I, I mean that's a that, that's a good question. There's there's a lot of big claims, and uh, I, you you caught me on that because uh, it was a good question, so I had to give you props for that. But uh, the biggest claim would be probably tough to to say. I remember one of the most um, uh, definitely a very large claim that we had was a water main burst uh, claim that uh, was suffered downtown. And uh, this was a very big event, um, and the water rushed into the parking garage, and there was um, uh, there was all the mechanicals in the parking garage. Th this was uh, really the impact of this one is was the fact that a hundred unit owners from the building um, couldn't occupy their suites for a significant amount of time. Um, so it was one of the more impactful ones because although we didn't insure every unit owner in that building, um, of those hundred unit owners, we found there was 20 of them that either didn't have the right insurance coverage or had no insurance coverage at all. Wow. Uh, so it obviously they were putting a lot of pressure on the government, property management, Anybody, claims adjuster, anybody they could. The contractors to try and get back into that building. And uh, so certainly it was a very high stress um, uh, 
public uh, event and, and certainly a, a very what, large claim wait, from a dollar standpoint. So as what well. would you say is the overall number you're looking at on that claim? Um, I think that one was uh, I think that one was about five million. Wow, that's a big claim. That was big. There's, there's, there's definitely been um, uh, other big claims. A lot of times, what you see uh, generate a bigger claim uh, than a water damage incident uh, from a severity standpoint is fire claims. Right. Um, you don't see them as often in high-rise buildings, obviously because of the pressurized nature of the buildings, the fact that the fire burns out, and fire um, codes, and the things we have in place now, and all the other wonderful things that make us very, very safe. Yeah, so you don't tend to see those spread, uh, but certainly if you see um, see a fire hit uh, townhome corporation, uh, as becoming a lot more common nowadays to see these four story and now even uh, I know we just had something in the news. We just heard about somebody who was barbecuing in uh, uh, where was that, Nick? It was just it was just around. It was here in Mississauga, that, uh, or Brampton, possibly. Yeah, I think it was in Brampton, near uh, near near up there. Yeah, somewhere near there where uh, they were barbecuing in their driveway and uh, um, propane canister blew up and the house is gone. Both people passed away. The dog passed away. But uh, I think the fire department did manage to contain it to one unit. Yeah, it's, um, it, it depends on the, the fire department response. It depends on how quickly that uh, fire takes hold. But, I mean, certainly we've seen uh, fire claims upwards of eight million dollars uh in the past uh, even even touching close to ten million dollars wow. um you don't see them every day thank uh, god but certainly um certainly it can happen so it's something that uh when people are living uh, in townhome or right. frame brick veneer style sites they tend to pay a bit more for their property insurance uh than they would to their uh, high-rise neighbors because you, they do have that, that would you exposure. say what has a greater? What do you think has a greater impact on um, insurance premiums? Those occasional catastrophic events, or the everyday water escapes, flooring replacements, those things. Um, they both have an impact. Normally, kind of rule of thumb uh, is that your frequency type of events uh, have more of an impact on deductibles. And your severity events have more of an impact on the premium uh, that uh, that corporations pay. So that's sort of a normal rule of thumb. There's always exceptional uh, cases, and uh, um, as well, if a corporation sometimes if they have a good long-standing history with uh, an insurance company, they may not get as big of a premium increase than one who's only been there for a year and then all of a sudden has uh, a catastrophic loss at their site. Yeah. Now we looked at the biggest insurance claim, as we've used previously. What would be, or that you've seen or dealt with, the most contentious claim? Well, the most contentious claim, um, I mean, those ones are tricky because I really can't get too much into them because I don't want to, you know, really reveal uh, that. A lot of them um, end up... uh, under debate for a long period of time, I can recall one of probably the most um, contentious ones. And again, not to get into too much detail, but it involved. Well, I feel like I'm dealing with a spy here. Like he's going to redact things. This well, is cool. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have you guys both sign something at the end of this. And, and actually, we should track down all of your uh, your listeners. Tom Gallinger, uh, secret agent. Go ahead, Tom. But anyways, it was involving a heritage property, which was a 
portion of the condominium corporation. And this mm-hmm. is actually becoming more and more common, especially when you see construction happening downtown. Where sure, use, old churches or sure, Exactly. Yeah. They'll use a heritage building. They'll use a heritage facade. They'll have some sort of heritage component. Maple Leaf Gardens. Exactly. That, that forms a part of it. And when you've got heritage, it's got to be rebuilt or reconstructed in such a way um, with certain materials and standards. And uh, so... The, the one in question, there was uh, some debate over how the reconstruction were, was to take place, and, and uh, it uh, ended up being a very long-running um, claim that was uh, very uh, contentious. How long, how long do you think that stretched out for? <sighs> that would have been probably stretched out. Now, the repairs ultimately got done, but the whole process probably took four years uh, Four years of, to settle the claim uh, of disputes over what's how right, what's wrong, who wants what, it was who supposed what. to go, and there was multiple parties involved at the same corporation that had different views on the way it should have gone. So there was a little bit of infighting too. But uh, that's about all I can say. I, uh, I won't we'll pressure to, you for uh, more. Don't worry. We'll <laughs> we'll talk uh, after we turn off the microphones. Um, we did mention a lot of different um, actors in this play. Maybe you could just quickly, briefly describe what the function of these people are. For example, we talked about brokers, adjusters, uh, claims people, etc. So uh, maybe you could just quickly touch on what their function are, uh, what their function is, and uh, and in what order you would experience them in the process of making a claim. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Quite oh, jeez. <laughs> Okay, uh, I think we have a running bet here. Every time he says it, I get a dollar. So I'm, we need uh, a, a, yeah. a good question jar. That's almost uh, like a swear jar a, here. Okay, loony in every time I say that. Uh, so, yeah, basically your insurance broker, and obviously I'm a little bit biased because I am one, but uh, your insurance broker is your go-to. That's your representative who has placed the coverage for the corporation. Um, so gonna, your company isn't an insurer. They're not the one that pays the claims. They're the one that sets up the coverage. They understand what the corporation's needs are, um, how to help them manage their insurance needs for the long term, how to set them up with the best coverage that they can or give them the best value uh, that they can. You shop the market. Shop the market, exactly, and, and give them what you feel is, uh, is going to be the best suited uh, to meet their needs. Um, so that's what the broker does. Broker is also a great uh, liaison when you have a claim. Um, an experienced broker has uh, a lot of experience with claims, especially if you're dealing in condominiums. Uh, you're going to be able to call. Rolling. Is that the one you, you, you call them to file the claim? Exactly. You're going to call them to see, is this a claim? What do you think about this situation? How should I proceed? Should I make a claim? And then they're going to be the one that will do that. Um, they're going to report that to the insurance company. And those are the people that pay the claims. So those are the people that take in all the premiums when your corporation pays of premium a year, that premium goes to the insurance company and they hold that to pay for all the losses uh, that they may have or they may anticipate they'll have. So the broker reports it to the insurance company and they assign what's called an adjuster, Mm -hmm. uh, which may work for the insurance company or it might be an independent party. Third party, yeah. uh, A third party adjuster. They're going to go out and assess how much is that damage going to cost the insurance company. So these are trained experts who... Uh, uh, who look at what has been dis- what's been lost, what the damage is, what items have been lost? Uh, are these the people that you would give that inventory to? 
That's exactly correct. Yeah. You'd give them that inventory of what you lost in your unit. They'd go through corporation common elements, what's been damaged in that. They're going to usually bring in um, some trades as well to assess the damage. And depending on the size, they may have multiple trades bid on the damage just to make sure that they're, uh, they're getting their best bang for the insurance company's buck. And it's typically an insurance company requirement. So they're going to do that and, and bring those parties in. They may also call in other professionals. Um, you may have uh, potential mold issues. You might get environmental or air quality specialists coming in and assessing how do we clean this up? What's the best way to approach this? Or like in that other case, you just uh, uh, historical experts and so forth yeah. and so on. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the adjuster is a, sort of the key site person, and they're going to coordinate all those professionals. They're going to get the contractors involved. They're going to assess you know, how much and quantify how much it's going to cost. But we're not talking repair. about the repair yet. We're just talking putting a number to the loss. That's exactly correct, yeah. And then who do we deal with? Then um, from that point, I mean, the adjuster typically remains involved, but um, once the contractor has been selected, and again, if it goes to bid, then... Uh, okay, so get... we're talking about the uh, the adjuster has said, here's the number, your loss is worth X amount of dollars, yeah. right? So he gets author... Now, if he's third party, does he have to go back to the uh, to the insurance company or the broker and say, okay, we think it's X amount of dollars contact the insured and tell them that or how does it work from there the adjuster is normally the one that communicates that but it's the insurance company that actually sets uh that amount in terms of um what we're going to be able to pay out right. for this loss based on all the data that we've collected through the adjuster and the contractors what we're responsible for what the policy mm -hmm. covers yep. what the replacement value is yeah, exactly yeah, okay. exactly so then basically then either the um, corporation can use the contractor that has provided the competitive bid, or they can use another qualified contractor, provided that the costs come in um, at the same point that the insurance company has authorized. So that's basically, then it turns over to the project management people at that contracting firm um, to work uh, typically with the on-site manager and, and, and ensure that those repairs are carried out uh, in a timely fashion. The adjuster does remain involved, um, ensuring that the funds are properly dispersed uh, to the required individuals, and also to ensure that a certain timeline uh, is carried out. Now, a little while ago, in 2016, we had an incident here in Mississauga. Uh, there was a house in a neighborhood, um, a beautiful modern residential neighborhood, uh, where as it was later uncovered, um, a man and woman were uh, in at the time, and uh, they decided to uh, end their lives in a very unique fashion. Uh, they blew up the house with the natural gas and the propane, decimating the neighborhood. Uh, one of those neighbors was a condominium corporation, high-rise building, that was affected by the blast. Um, we know this because uh, our company was handling the claim handling the damage and all the things we were the, the incumbent managers at the time yeah um, maybe you can tell us a little bit of that what process went through and what the claim eventually had because this has taken years to settle if I'm not mistaken yeah um, you know in that situation when you're dealing with a, a very large loss situation um, things tend to go through a lot more uh, dotting of I's and crossing of T's from the insurance company's standpoint, 
um, you know, I remember, you know, being involved with that and uh, even just waiting for uh, an engineering report on the structural soundness of, uh, of some of the property that was damaged. Uh, it takes time. Right. The, bla- uh, the blast took out windows, shook the building, uh, shook the, I guess, the foundation. It was a significant blast. It was on, on news all over North America, if I remember correctly. So. Yeah, for sure. So that's the one difference with that. Um, the insurance company gets uh, a lot more heavily involved um, in very large situations because uh, they need to make sure they control the costs. The insurance companies, uh, you know, they want to make sure that for every dollar they take in, they're not spending more than a dollar in claims costs in general. So they want to make sure that they're controlling the, the costs and also that they're doing it, uh, doing the job properly in terms of the reconstruction. So I know in that particular case, there certainly was uh, a lot of involvement with um, very specific specialists such as engineers um, and, uh, and other specialists required because of the, the severity the size of the claim, uh, the impact of the claim, right. the now pure a, now structural our, damage. Yeah, from our point, it was a, it's, a, it's a multi-story high-rise condominium building. Now, how many people were displaced by that? Because now you got to, or hopefully, they're going to have their their um, hotel accommodations covered for that, and and they were out for quite some time, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, various parties were out for for differing amounts of time. There certainly was a large amount of people displaced because there were the two corporations, um, and one uh, the one that was immediately closer to the the blast site um, and suffered more damage. Uh, the unit owners in in that particular portion of the condominium corporation were out for a significant time and upwards but of it upwards of a year a year or so um, out of their own or, or over a year so yeah. it was um that's a definite situation where as unit owners even though they didn't do anything they didn't cause the damage they were just unfortunately the victims of it those unit owners are responsible for those additional costs um, and that's one of the areas we find that unit owners um, tend not to have uh, enough coverage because I don't know, you know, a month-to-month uh, rent for a place in uh, in that area of Mississauga, maybe fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred, two thousand dollars a month. Sure, could be twenty-five hundred, depending on the square footage. And you're talking, you're not talking about an annual lease either. You're talking about month-to-month because right. you don't know when you could be back in. Correct. Um, those costs can add up, and certainly we, um, you know, you feel the pressure from people who don't have enough coverage. Because then they're coming back after three, four months saying, look, my coverage is running out. When am I going to be back in? And unfortunately, with that much damage, it uh, in some cases, now, it's unknown. That, that claim, uh, I guess the, the sum total of all the claims was probably in excess of about $3 million from what I understand. That's correct, yeah. Wow, that's a big one. Um, now, uh, just uh, we're, we're getting near the end of our time here. And um, I just, uh, first I had another question. Um, Likely a great one. Yeah, it is a great one. Um, I've never seen you and Jerry O'Connell in the same place at the same time. Um, there's been some some scuttlebutt, some quiet whispers that you are, in fact, Jerry O'Connell. Is that true? You know, I'm going to have to deny that one. Okay, because, wow, the, the resemblance is striking. But, again, I've never seen you both at the same place at the same time. 
Uh, I've I've heard other comparisons, and uh, so uh, that one I, I'm not as upset about. But I've certainly heard others which uh, place me as uh, different individuals that are not quite as flattering. Yeah, it's usually shedding on the golf course. Um, now tips. It's time for tips. Um, the right insurance for the condo, just overall. What can we say for unit owners? What's the right type of insurance to get for their property? Um, definitely. I mean, you want to make sure that it is a unit owner's insurance package. Uh, you don't want a tenant's package. Um, specifically, sometimes in the case of townhome unit owners, they'll purchase a homeowner's insurance package. You want to make sure if you're a condo unit owner, you have a what's called a unit owner's policy. And it sounds... A condominium-specific It, it sounds basic. It sounds like, why Why would right. you have to educate people on that? Now here's but a, it here's, is, here's it is quick, an often confused area. Here's a quick question, and maybe a, um, a slight plug. But your company, Atron's Council, who insures all the buildings, or at least 500 buildings in the GTA or Ontario... Do you offer a condo unit owner's policy? Because there's one thing to, to, to work with all these boards of directors, right? Um, do you offer anything special to, uh, to unit owners? Yeah, no, definitely we, uh, we do. Um, I mean, normally I uh, would uh, talk about this, but I don't usually sell insurance past 3 p.m. So, uh, but the, the condo gold is a policy that, uh, that we strongly recommend in our office. Um, what it does, it actually piggybacks on the corporation policy. So it provides a very high level of coverage to unit owners in these corporations that we insure. They're already getting that high level of coverage in the corp policy. Um, and this one basically extends that throughout the unit. And it's got a lot of uh, bells and whistles in it that basically uh, provide probably, I would say, one of the highest levels of coverage to a unit owner. But because we insure so many corporations, and by virtue of that, so many unit owners, there's a bit of a bulk discount. So it's a discounted product that's available for, for those owners. Now, we're going to touch on two quick topics um, just for the end here. Um, we're talking about the unit owners. Is there any type of coverages required when they're having guests? When the guests come onto the property, when the guests use the amenities, if the guests stay over in a guest suite, uh, is there any insurance specifically for them? Um, there's not necessarily, uh, you know, a requirement from that standpoint. Uh, I mean, their unit owner, uh, their own unit owner's policy would respond from a liability standpoint if a guest did something and the unit owner got sued because of it. Um, certainly, if unit owners are booking uh, the party room, uh, or common areas and hosting events, uh, multiple guests, that type of thing. Um, certainly, if that's going to be a larger event or alcohol is going to be served, they may want to look into an event liability policy uh, that would protect them from that event. So that's a separate policy. Call up the broker and say, look, we're having a, a wedding, bar mitzvah, a wake, whatever it is. Yeah, that's correct. You don't necessarily need to have it if you're having the uh, the ladies over to play bridge, but um, if you're having a, a larger event, uh, a lot of corporations nowadays even require that um, for if you're booking the party room, if it's going to be more than 30 or 40 people or if alcohol is going to be served. Because uh, what happens with those policies as well is that you can add the corporation on as an additional insured. So it protects the corporation from having to use their own policy uh, if, if an event happens and somebody gets injured, 
because of that event, uh, they can go under the event policy and claim under that as opposed to impacting the corporation policy. And I guess one of the things we haven't touched on, we talked about the condo corporation. We talked about uh, unit owners. We didn't talk about tenants. So you've bought a unit uh, in a condo. So the condo was insured by the corporation. You have your condominium uh, gold package. Mm -hmm. Now you have a tenant. Is there any legislation requiring him to have insurance? And if or if not, and they are going to get some, what do they get? Yeah, yeah, that um, is a great question. I know is a, is an important topic uh, with tenants because as an owner who uh, and this is incredibly popular, obviously uh, all across the GTA and the city is investment owners uh, or landlord owners that purchase a unit and rent it out to tenants. Uh, they would need actually a slightly different policy than a condo gold. It basically covers the same things for the um, the landlord owner. Uh, the chargeback of the deductible, the personal property, the betterments, improvements, um, the additional, uh, instead of the additional living expenses, it's the lost rental income. So if you have a fire that tears through the unit and your tenant has to move out, you're no longer receiving that rent from them. That can be covered off by um, by a non-resident unit owner's policy. What about a tenant's policy? Tenants, um, again, it's not a requirement for a tenant to carry a policy. It is something that you can work into a lease agreement. Uh, and I know there's some new regulations now, and there's a standard lease agreement that's available for landlords, uh, which has an option um, specifying whether or not the tenant is required to carry insurance. And that, we, that would specifically cover contents that would cover their own contents and what that would also cover would be their own liability and that's where it's key while unit owners in condominiums um can't sue each other with respect to property damage incidents uh depending on the declaration oh, hold on. Now, now, now that's a that's a big statement that's a juicy let, let, one let, let's say that statement again in case they didn't hear it well basically in a condominium corporation unit owners with respect to property damage incidents unit owners can't sue unit owners unit owners can't sue the corporation corporation can't sue unit owners. So nobody can sue anybody. With respect to property damage property incidents damage, in a condominium. Yes. Okay. Why that is, is because uh, we don't have enough lawyers, frankly, to handle all those situations if they allowed that. But it's in everybody's declarations. If you take a look, when the lawyers put those together, it's basically like consumer protection. Uh, if you were on the top floor and you flooded out the entire building, you don't want 299 other unit owners plus the corporation suing you nobody could carry enough personal liability to protect themselves. So uh, that's why it's drafted in those declarations. In some cases, it does not extend to tenants. Mm -hmm. So if a tenant has their own tenant's insurance package with liability coverage in it, which would be included, sometimes you can uh, pursue that tenant if they've been negligent in causing loss to the corporation property. So that's the one exception. So, so a corporation we, ostensibly could sue the tenant. The corporation or the unit owner. Or the well, unit owner. Or that, that a unit owner. Them. So the, the, downstairs, the yeah. downstairs guy who got flooded because Mr. Smith's tenant was now throwing toilet paper, uh, tissue paper into the uh, paper towel into the toilet, caused an overflow. He could go after the tenant legally. You may be able to. That's correct. Yeah. May, yes. Okay. Well, that's 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 really good to know. And and uh, you you condo owners out there, please uh, beware. Uh, you are responsible for your tenants. What last message would you want to leave to the unit owners, board of directors? Um, 
tenants out there, everybody who's listening, um, if, if you could give a, a, a brief synopsis of what's the most important thing they, they should consider about their insurance. Um, I, I think, you know, maybe start from the other end. I think probably the least important thing, although it's always top of mind with board of directors, unit owners, and everybody with, with rising costs, I think the least important thing about your insurance is the price. To be honest with you, even though it's probably the very first thing that everybody looks at when they get their copy of their insurance policy, and whether it be your personal policy, your corporation policy, the key thing about insurance, I think you want to make sure um, that you have the coverage and the stability of that coverage as well. So you've got that coverage, um, you know that you've got broad protection from loss or damage. Um, and that you know that you've got uh, stability in the insurance companies that are providing that coverage. So, in a nutshell, not all policies are alike. So you can't judge them on premium because a lower premium policy may, in fact, not be covering some things that the other ones would be. That's exactly correct. Yeah. I would... I would uh... and, and, and the worst time to find that out is at the time of claim is when you have a claim and you either have something not covered uh, or you have limitations on uh, on coverage. Uh, I mean, specifically, you know, uh, unit owner's policies, are, they're so affordable. Uh, I would always err on the side of caution, make sure you have enough limits and, and enough coverage there. And then likewise for the corporation policy as well. A lot of times corporations will compare um, limits of coverage, they'll compare the the limits that they have on their current policy to the limits being provided by uh, an alternate insurance company, and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the coverage has the same depth or the same uh, extensions, the same level of coverage. Just because you got five million liability here and, and five million liability there, so very important to use again those professionals that you work with, um, your trusted uh, insurance broker, insurance advisor, uh, to um, to make sure you understand uh, really what you're getting. Just a quick last item, it popped into my head. Uh, maybe you could just do a very quick brief thing on an umbrella policy because a lot of people are now getting those and why would they get an umbrella policy and what does it actually cover? You know what, that's a great question. So personal umbrella, oh geez, where's the swear jar? Um, <laughs> but it really is because a personal umbrella is something that uh, individuals can purchase for themselves it has become definitely significantly more common now. Basically, it does a couple of things. It gives the uh, unit owner or the individual who purchases it an opportunity to carry higher limits of liability for their own personal insurance. And what an umbrella does is you can sort of picture an umbrella. It sits over both your property policy, so your condo unit owner's policy or homeowner's or whatever you have, and your automobile policy. So let's say in each of those policies you have $2 million of liability coverage. It provides you an extra um, $3 million or Whatever $5 million insure, the amount over insure. and above uh, of what you currently have over both of those policies. And Wait. this day and age, as claims are bigger and higher and costs are... The, the, the older, small liability uh, amounts or limits are negligible. Like if you're looking at, at uh, let's, let's say a slip and fall uh, uh, where someone um, is more likely to have uh, replacement income for the rest of their lifetime, that $2 million may not be sufficient. 
No, definitely not. It's uh, sadly two millions, not what it used to be. And uh, so seriously looking at uh, from an individual standpoint, carrying at least five million dollars of liability coverage, I would say is is prudent. The other nice thing when you're in a condo is that a lot of umbrella policies also will extend to your activities on not for profit board of directors. So you've got a little bit of buffer coverage under that umbrella. Uh, if you're a director or officer of a condominium corporation, they've got the coverage under the corporation policy, but you you typically under an umbrella policy would have a little bit extra coverage there in case that coverage limit is exhausted under the corporation's insurance um, to provide you that backup. So it's a, it's a very good thing. And certainly when we're talking with boards of directors, uh, we strongly recommend looking and at that umbrella coverage policy. could be exhausted because of several claims for the same event. It may just not be just, there's, there's a, a limit of liability, right? And, 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 and you will say an aggregate amount. But if more people are claiming, that could in essence exhaust the limit. Yeah, there's, in some cases, there's an aggregate amount, uh, although typically you, you'd look to avoid that. But certainly if you had a claim situation where one claim, if you had $5 million and you have a claim that's for $6 million, right. Policy is only going to pay that five, and then you're either looking to the corporation to reimburse you, and if they're holding you out to dry, you want to be able to seek uh, coverage under under your own policy. Excellent. Well, that's that's uh, great information, and I got to tell you, um, there's only been one thing better today than all the great questions I asked you, and that's all the great answers that you provided for our listeners. And on behalf of Nicholas, uh, Nicholas microphoneless Nicholas today. Uh, you haven't been hearing his voice because uh, we just didn't give him a microphone today. Uh, and myself, Ari Soroka. We want to thank Tom Gallinger, Vice President of Atron's Council Insurance Brokers, for joining us here today on We Speak Condo. episode of We Speak Condo interesting or informative, please subscribe to the podcast by visiting our website, www.citysitesmanagement.com. If you want to have your questions answered, email us. We'll be responding to your love letters or hate mail every week. Thanks for listening.